What is learned helplessness and how could it be impacting our lives right now without us even knowing about it? Our good friend Patrick Krill returns to help us out. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we're talking about mental health. More specifically, we're talking about this concept of learned helplessness. Now, that's particularly relevant to today because our country's beginning to wake up, get back to normal after uh, COVID shutdowns and, and things like that. And, you know, some people, even though we're, uh, we're getting back to normal, are still feeling a little bit off. And of course, others have been struggling through the entirety of the pandemic and are having a difficult time to get back on track. But, uh, you know, if you're one of those two camps, you know, take heart, you know, if you're feeling this way, or if you know someone who is you and they are not alone. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And before I introduce our guests, we want to thank our sponsor real quick. That's Noda. Noda is powered by M&T Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Noda. No cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnoda.com forward slash legal to learn more. And that's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. Terms and conditions may apply. All right, let's get into it. Let's say Hello to our return guest and friend, Patrick Krill. He's the founder of Krill Strategies, a behavior health consulting firm. Welcome back, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Lawrence. Thanks for the invitation to be here. It's good to be with you. Well, no, thank you for coming back. You know, you're a great guest frequently on the network here from time to time. And I think this is actually the first time you're on Legal Talk today. So for our audience, you know, let's build out the bona fides just a little bit. Tell us about Krill Strategies, the work you do, and your experience uh, in the fields of mental health and addictions. Oh, sure. So my background is I'm a former practicing attorney who about 12 years ago decided to make a career change. I went back to school, became a licensed alcohol and drug counselor, and ultimately the director of a treatment program for lawyers, judges, and law students at the Hazel and Betty Ford Foundation. And after a number of years there, I left to launch a consulting firm working directly with legal employers. And so we work with law firms, corporate legal departments, and other legal employers to basically help them help their people. And that our work involves education, crisis management, program development. There's really a lot that we do in the realm of mental health and well-being. I'm also a researcher, and I've certainly been involved with a lot of research and many of the initiatives to improve mental health and well-being over the last decade in the legal profession I've been leading or involved with. And so I, I think I'm pretty deeply involved with this work and have a, a unique perspective on the challenges that lawyers and law students and really any legal professional might face as it relates to mental health and substance use problems. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. And, uh, you know, you reached out, you sent me an email and I thought it was just the perfect matchup. You know, mental health has been on the radar a lot, especially in uh, the media popular culture. You know, we recently did a show on Naomi Osaka when she withdrew from the French Open. It's sort of the the, the legal uh, aspects of that. And, you know, I've been reading and hearing about, you know, uh, celebrities like Kim Kardashian, who says her agoraphobia came back, you know, something that happened because of a burglary, a robbery that happened in Paris, but it rematched manifested itself, you know, because of these shutdowns and lockdowns. And just this morning uh, before, you know, as I was preparing for our show today, I read that Simone Biles uh, is pulling out of the Olympics for some mental health issues. And I just think, you know, our country has been through so much. The world's been through so much in the last 18 months. And so, Patrick, my, you know, my opening question to you is just in terms of gauging America's mental health today, where do you think we are? Yeah, it's a it's a very important question. And unfortunately, the answer is not one that I'm super excited to share with you. We're not in a great place. 
that's not universal. I mean, some people are managing pretty well and, and some people have been getting to a better place as the world has started to reopen. But overall, and there's been a lot of data that's emerged to show that mental health and substance use and overdoses and burnout, all of those things really, really took a dive over the last 18 months. And we've been breaking a lot of records that we really wouldn't want to be breaking. And so for anyone listening to this, who maybe themselves, they're struggling with depression or anxiety, they're they're exhausted, they're burnt out, maybe they're drinking too much, you're certainly not alone. And I think that's a really fundamental point that we need to all acknowledge that we're grappling with in addition to the pandemic, which has been sort of front and center, we are grappling with a secondary pandemic or epidemic, and that is mental health. Um, and it's really gone in the wrong direction as a result of many of the stressors we've faced over the last 18 months. Yeah, you know, one of the things I appreciated when you, when you sent over some of your presentation information was this notion that, you know, during the shutdown, a lot of the things that people utilize to kind of bring themselves back, kind of bound back, sort of that normalcy in their life, those healthy things they were doing were often cut off from them and there was really nothing they could do about it. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, as, as you were uh, presenting, uh, you know, in your materials, many Americans fell into this learned helplessness state. And so, so very relevant to today. So can you tell us what that is, why it is so applicable to today, and what causes that? Sure. So I think it's a really important phenomenon for people to recognize maybe and be able to spot in themselves or others, but then also to maybe do some things affirmatively or proactively to steer out of it. Um, Really simply put, it's maladaptive passivity. This was first identified, the, the phrase, the term was coined in the 60s by a researcher or professor at the University of Pennsylvania, but it's since been well-studied and really shown to happen in a variety of circumstances in both human beings and animals. But it's maladaptive passivity following experience with uncontrollable events, right? So if you continuously face negative, uncontrollable situations or events, you might eventually stop trying to change your circumstances even when you have the ability to do so, right? So it's like you're just kind of giving up in a sense or or finding yourself in this state of resignation in the face of continuous negative, uncontrollable events, situations, or stressors. And if you think back to, you know, the start of COVID and everything that's come since then, we've really all been facing continuous negative, uncontrollable events and situations that for many people have just sort of overwhelmed them and you know, they've they've kind of stopped trying in a sense. And not only have they stopped trying, some of the things that they would potentially, like you say, typically have done to support their mental health and well-being weren't there for them to do, right? So for a very long time, you couldn't go to the gym, we couldn't travel, there are all sorts of things we couldn't do. But then the problem is some people stopped doing things that they still could do, right? So we stopped kind of exercising dominion over the things in our lives that we still had control over. And I think that that's uh, really important to recognize when you've fallen into that learned helplessness trap where you're just maladaptively passive. 
Yeah, I think that's so. Uh, I think that's so intuitive, and I, I know for my part, you know, the, one of the frustrating things about the shutdown was like, you know, first it was 15 days to flatten the curve, and it went on and on and on, and never, you know, never seemed to be any end in sight. And how frustrating that would be for anybody. I mean, whether you have, you know, whether you're, you know, working at a job or whether you own a business, you know, just that uncertainty just constantly wears at you. So I want to, I want to kind of drive this home. You know, there's people out there that maybe they feel something's a little wrong, but they're just not terribly concerned about it. But maybe, you know, and you're famous for saying this, name it to tame it. Let's connect the dots between that learned helplessness and the COVID experience. What specifically unique to COVID, the shutdowns, all the things that we've been through for the last 18 months in particular feeds that idea of learned helplessness? Well, so learned helplessness has a bi-directional relationship with depression and anxiety, meaning it can contribute to or cause those things, but it can also flow from them. And so we know that depression and anxiety have risen sharply, steeply in the general population and also in the legal profession, uh, certainly based on some research that I had published earlier this year, which demonstrated that. Um, But so it may be as a result of someone's depression or anxiety, they're just kind of finding themselves in this resigned place. But beyond that, it could just be, you know, the circumstances are changing so frequently. Things just feel outside of our control. We feel like our lives and the world and everything is just sort of happening to us rather than us being able to control it. And an example of that, an example from today, is that there's now additional guidance from the CDC around masking indoors for certain populations. And that guidance uh, appears to be changing materially from the prior guidance and where we thought we were. We thought, you know, sort of getting vaccinated was a step towards not having to wear a mask. And it looks like things are changing, all of which is to say that this continuous sort of uncertainty continues to swirl around and things feel uncontrollable. And it's not hard to imagine how some people could just throw their hands up in the air and say, you know what? This is, I I just can't do this. I'm going to just kind of resign, check out, and hang out here in a funk on my couch until this all passes. Well, let's talk about the impact. And so you're you're talking a little bit about this now, but this learned helplessness, how does it manifest itself? You know, uh, what are the signs? Maybe you could recognize it in yourself and, you know, maybe give us an example of impact. Maybe there's a case out there without revealing confidences that you can share with us. Well, so it could manifest actually in depression or anxiety. And so if somebody is feeling depressed, they're feeling overly anxious, that could have something to do with the fact that you haven't really done things that you typically would to take care of yourself. You're feeling powerless. Maybe you're just feeling totally unable to make decisions, disengaged. And those, you know, being unable to make decisions or having sort of new onset indecisiveness can actually be a symptom or a sign of depression. Maybe you're falling back into some old habits. So it's a little bit person-specific, but I would say that the headline or the overarching sort of label that you could put on it is dysfunction, right? And so are you less functional than you were or than you used to be or that you would prefer to be? Are you experiencing some dysfunction in your life? Are you um, kind of in that funk, as I was saying, or in this state of resignation. And, you know, without you say kind of share an example, I would just share sort of an aggregate or composite example, which certainly wouldn't reveal any any confidences or anything like that. But I've been hearing a lot from lawyers that 
you know, following a presentation I might give for a firm or, you know, some, some advising that I might be doing for a firm and I'm hearing from their lawyers, um, I'm just kind of hearing from people that they're really burned out, really exhausted. They're really kind of at this point where they, as, the, as I've been saying, they're just sort of checked out. And it's, it's every day is a bit of a struggle to just kind of engage with the work that they have to do that's in front of them. And they don't feel like they have had the level of control over their life and their circumstances that they typically would. And, you know, that is, it really is sort of this aggregate experience that I've been hearing about and frankly, observing in people as well. And so, you know, they're not going out to meet up with friends now that we can again. They're not necessarily traveling. And this is changing, right? I mean, people have been making some progress in this respect, but they just haven't been doing the things that they still could do that would actually support their health or support their well-being. Well, I want to transition into solutions and action. And I realize in the course of a podcast, you're not going to fix one of these longer term problems immediately, but I think it helps to give people some tools out there and to uh, make people aware that there are some options, you know, and steps that you can take. And so you talk about escaping the gravity of negative thoughts and, and why that's so important for getting us out of those behaviors that hold us back. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, so it's important right now, I would say at this point, it's been important all throughout the pandemic, and it's generally a good practice in life, but to really sort of step back and check in with your thoughts, right? And ask yourself if you need maybe a little bit of a, of a tune-up, or your thoughts need a little bit of a tune-up right now. Um, because most people, or if not everyone, we have sort of this innate negativity bias where human beings are sort of prone to focus on or think about negative thoughts more so than positive thoughts. There are a lot of reasons why that occurs sort of outside the scope of this conversation. But nonetheless, we're sort of primed to think about negative things or to be focused on negative thoughts. And when we've been exposed to so many negative stimuli, novel stressors, challenges, that we really had no playbook for over the last year and a half, it's not hard to understand how you might find yourself kind of in this negative spiral and, and you're sort of stuck in a, this negative mindset all of the time. And you might actually be experiencing some cognitive distortions, some thinking errors, automatic negative thoughts. Certainly those are part of the process for people who are experiencing depression, for example, and it doesn't need to be major depression, but it's basically where you're just sort of viewing the world and yourself and the future in an inaccurate and overly negative way. And so it's important, as I say, to kind of stop, pause, and check in with your thoughts. And that that takes a little bit of work. And it's not natural, it's not necessarily something that comes naturally to people where you where you just in any given moment, examine the thoughts you're having, acknowledge them. And I would say to kind of escape those negative thoughts or the pull of them, we have to first call them out and say that I'm stuck in a very negative mindset right now, or I'm focused a lot on negativity. And then to begin to challenge those thoughts to maybe what we might call validity test them or reality test them and ask yourself, you know, what facts exist to support this? Am I catastrophizing? Am I overgeneralizing? Am I really kind of viewing this in black and white terms? And it's not black and white. So a really concrete example of that might be, you know, you wake up Monday morning and you just sort of think to yourself, well, this week is going to suck or Mondays are always the worst or, you know, whatever. You're just kind of already getting off on this negative mindset foot 
and stop and recognize that and ask yourself, well, is that true? And to really just be a little bit more intentional about your thoughts, not allow yourself to get carried away or swept away in this current of negativity. And so it's a really long answer to your question, but the point is to acknowledge and recognize your thoughts and then challenge them. Don't just accept them at face value, especially if they are overly negative. You know, you mentioned a lot about that anxiety-inducing stimuli, and you were you were hinting at it. You know, the the news cycle's been incredibly negative during the course of the last year, social media and things like that. So, tell us the value of pulling yourself away from that. And when you start talking about checking negative thoughts, you're talking about checking that too, right? I am absolutely. And so, we have to be really sort of aware of the stimuli that we are receiving on any given day in any given moment and just sort of throughout the course of our life, right? What What is prompting us or what's cueing us? What's grabbing our attention? What's diverting our attention? Is it, you know, this constant barrage of negative headlines? Is it, you know, a lot of negativity that we're exposed to in our interpersonal relationships or dynamics in our workplace, right? And just looking for ways to stem the tide of those things. For myself personally, I stopped checking social media. I, I actually I left Facebook years ago, but I left Twitter last year, really just as a way to, to pull back from that constant barrage of negativity that we can so easily find ourselves exposed to. So it requires us to be more intentional and, and to be more directive, frankly, about our lives and about our days and what we're allowing to come into our zone of consciousness. You know, one of the things uh, I've been reading, this is my last question for you, Patrick, is that uh, people have been feeling this anxiety about the notion of going back into their uh, in-person offices. And so I've been reading about this in, in a lot in the news and, uh, you know, people out there, you know, they haven't been back to the office, been working remote. Maybe they've gone in for a day here or here or there, but I've, I've heard more about these offices, you know, offices around the country want to get back to kind of full time. Let's get back in there by September. And people are nervous about that. And it's, uh, it's kind of strange. I mean, it, it, these are your friends and everything, but now all of a sudden people are a little bit, uh, you know, nervous about going in and seeing their office mates and friends and things like that. And so do you have any like quick recommendations for someone that might be in that camp. They're a little anxious, maybe a little social anxiety. They're riding that elevator back up to the office, about ready to say hi to their friends, the, the full office here pretty soon. What, what kind of exercises or just quick advice can you give them? Yeah. So on a very practical level, you know, to just sort of bring some of the stress out of your body, I would say some focusing on your breath, doing some breath work in the moment to really sort of trigger some physiological changes so that you can get yourself to a place. If you're feeling acutely anxious in a moment, such as getting in an elevator or you know going into the office for the first time, be aware of your breath, focus on your breath. But outside of that, in preparation for that, what I would say, going back to the point I was making a few moments ago, check your thinking and, and really check in with that thinking and ask yourself, am I jumping to conclusions? Am I projecting? Am I making assumptions about how this is going to be, how stressful it might be? Am I discounting or overlooking some of the positives that may occur by going back into the office and really just be aware of and try to arrest any overly negative thoughts that you're having because chances are the experience will shake out somewhere in the middle. It won't be nearly as bad as you think it is, as you think it's going to be. And it might not be some sort of nirvana either, right? It's going to probably be a mixed bag. But the point is to just really check your thinking and ask yourself, 
you know, am I really making this out to be something that is bigger than it is or worse than it is? And then the the absolute final point that I'll make is that many people are having that heightened anxiety about going back into the workplace based on how they're doing, right? Maybe they've changed. Maybe they've, you know, their appearance has changed, their behaviors have changed. They feel kind of in a funk or in a rut. They don't feel ready to go back out and engage with day-to-day life and routines. And I would say, recognizing that and starting to build some healthier routines into your life sooner rather than later to make that transition easier and to build a little bit of a runway towards that change that is ultimately going to come where we are around people a lot more all the time. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you, Lawrence. Good to speak with you. And if our listeners, they want to reach out, learn more about your work, maybe they have some questions for you. How can they find you? Oh, sure. Uh, Best place to find me would be our website, which is prkrill.com, Krill Strategies. And thank you listeners for tuning in. We value the time you invest with us. And I hope you found today's episode as valuable as I did. And speaking of value, I want to thank our sponsor, Noda, one more time. You can find them at trustnoda.com forward slash legal. That's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And last but never least, thank you to our team producer, Molly McDonough, and our LTN audio crew. They are the best. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 